hello everybody and welcome to the Practice Practice Makes Faithful podcast, if I can say the name of our podcast here. Uh, Today we are in season two, episode six, uh, and I'm Ben Patterson. We're joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, it's, it's always amazing to me how, how quickly these things move once we actually get into them. So just as you're saying, part six, I'm thinking, wow, we're really that far into it, which means only yeah. a couple parts after this one left. And so uh, so really good stuff. I mean, I think we're into the meat of, of where we're going to be today for, for the series and for, for the book as well. And so I'm, I'm excited for, for the conversation that we'll have. Yeah, and we're in that series, The Way Back, based on a book that Paul wrote and this sermon series that we've been in. And uh, yeah, we've got, what, two parts ahead? Yeah, that's it. Um, this has been a really good conversation. Look forward to continuing with it today. But as we get started with that, Paul, you want to just give us that quick recap? Now, try to recap five parts Yes. in about a minute. Yes. So um, if, uh, if you've been with us on this journey, you know that we've talked... Um, First, started uh, kind of having the conversation about the identity of God. Um, what can we learn as we look about creation or look at creation mm-hmm. about God? You know, so so we're having this conversation, trying to establish who God is, and really the whole purpose of that. I mean, I, I think I can summarize it very quickly this way. I think it's almost everything that we've done in the series to this point has been to help us at least try to make an attempt at seeing God clearly, do the best that yeah. we can. So, so that's because you know we have this belief that, that if we do see God clearly, that will help us see ourselves clearly. In mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. Um, here's, how, here's how we said that last week, right? So it's, it's this idea that the moment that we begin to see God clearly, it's also the moment that we begin to see ourselves clearly. And mm-hmm. so last week I said that you know, if I were to try to craft a definition using maybe... Um, our, our biblical worldview to try to define this concept, this idea of humility, I would say that that would be it. It's seeing God clearly, seeing ourselves clearly. So, so I feel like as a, as a minister, it's, it's one of the best definitions that I, I can provide because the reality of humility mm-hmm. is um, it, it's, it's based in an, onic, an honest and truly realistic view of yourself. Yeah. Right. So yeah. seeing God clearly, seeing yourself clearly, I can't think of a better way to, uh, to be propelled into having this honest and realistic view of self. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what humility looks like. That's how we act at, in, in, in humility. Um, and that, that matters. We wrapped up, I think, last week with this statement um, that the road that we travel as we journey back toward relationship with the God we have sinned against is paved with humility. Because remember, again, we began with the idea of God as creator. What can we learn about God? Through looking at creation, we also see that God was a, a relational God, is a relational God who's extended relationship toward us, and that we have uh, rejected that relationship over and over and over again. It wasn't just Adam and Eve, it's us. It's, it's every one of us. We've chosen our own way mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. way of God. Um, and so, you know, now we get to this point where we start to say, okay, what can we do to start walking this journey back toward God? If that's a possibility, what can we do to walk mm-hmm. this journey mm-hmm. back toward God? And again, that road is paved with humility. So that's what pretty pretty that's close to a minute maybe um, yeah. in, in recapping where we've been uh, to this point. That's good. That's good. I mean, now this week, as we turn to this week's message, yes. I think we kind of... We start to turn a corner into really what the heart of this series has been about, yeah. right? Of like of getting to this idea of repentance. We're going to dive into that a little bit today. But you want to give us a little bit, uh, give us that recap. What did we talk about this week? Okay, so um, 
you know, I, I shared uh, I shared in the message uh, this story about um, you know when I was in seventh grade, I was uh, I was at a, a school dance with with some friends of mine, and uh, there was this girl that had caught my eye. You know, it was kind of seventh grade first crush kind of thing, and uh, and I remember asking her to dance. Um, and it wasn't just once, too. I mean, it was like a couple of times I asked her to dance and was rejected <laughs> both times. And, uh, you know, decided out of that that moment of rejection, the way that I was going to respond is, is that I was going to just pretend she didn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was going to be at this place where I was going to act like it didn't bother me at all. She didn't matter whatsoever. She didn't even exist. Completely ignore her and, and pretend that, that if, you know, anytime that we were in the same room, which was pretty much every class every day, um, you know, she was just not even somebody that existed anymore as far as, <laughs> far as I was concerned. And, you know, so, <clears throat> excuse me, it kind of raises the question, you know, how, how, how do we deal with rejection? Mm-hmm. Any of us, how do we deal with rejection? Do we take it extremely personally? Does it change the way we then behave toward those who have rejected us? Um, do we um, move to the place where we extend rejection as well, maybe even a next level of rejection. You know, she just didn't want to dance with me and I was going to pretend like she wasn't even alive anymore, right? So yeah. you can see, in a, you know, kind of a very petty way of dealing with things, but also, I mean, what would you expect out of a seventh grader to some degree who's <laughs> trying to process these feelings of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, first, uh, certainly not first love, but first crush or whatever you want to call that. And, uh, you know, I think, I think because of the way we respond, when we've been rejected by someone, and just think about even even today, uh, you know, as a you know as a forty three year old, if if I was rejected by someone, or or to ha- you know propose an idea and then have that idea rejected, it it creates some turmoil within us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Or if you know you know you're you're uh, in school pursuing a couple of degrees, if you're at this place where you write a paper and all of a sudden it comes back with a terrible grade, that feels like rejection yeah, of your yeah, ideas, it does. right? And it so. Does. Um, so then, kind of the, the, the way that our hearts are wired when we're rejected, um, we now have a whole just like almost plethora of, of feelings to process and work mm-hmm. through, you know. And so I think to some degree when we realize that we have rejected relationship with God by the way that we've lived our lives at times, it, it ought to make us wonder... Mm-hmm. How how will or how does God respond to those who have walked away from Him? Okay. So how does He yeah. respond to us as we have severed relationship with Him, the relationship that He's extended to us? How, how is He going to respond mm-hmm. um, after that rejection? Well, we we looked um, Sunday morning at this. Uh, what I think is just a really neat story from Second uh, Chronicles seven, and I'll I'll tell just a little bit of that story, some of the backstory, and then some of the story from uh, chapter seven. But that leads us, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen is a verse that most Christians know, most Christians mm-hmm. have heard at some point in time, and we'll get to that one uh, in just a minute. But uh, in Second Chronicles seven, uh, there's a parallel account um, in this that you can find. I think is in First Kings as well. Um, in Second Chronicles seven. Uh, we see the story of the completion of the temple that was built by Solomon. So David, who was Solomon's father, had wanted to build a temple because of a sin with Bathsheba. God said, I'm not going to let you build a temple. I will let your son build a temple. And so 
Solomon, when he becomes king, starts to build the temple. He begins to build the temple. It takes uh, roughly seven years. I think if you actually flesh it out, it's like six years and six or seven or eight months, somewhere in that ballpark. It takes to build this temple. And so, you know, just think about if you had been one of the ones that saw maybe the moment when ground was broken on the temple, whatever that looks yeah. like, or some yeah. of the first foundation stones, the cornerstones <laughs> being laid, you see that, you can see the temple is uh, now in process of being built. So this majestic building, again, building with the anticipation of this is going to be a dwelling place for God among us here in Jerusalem in Israel, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to have this temple. God is going to be visibly present here at this temple. We're going to make sure that no expense at all is... Uh, you know, is spared at all when we build this temple, that it is, it is majestic in a way that makes us think about the majesty of God. So all of that there together, right? So, so that is sort of the anticipation. Um, and that anticipation lasts seven years as things are being built. As you see the walls going up, if you see the roof going on, the doors being hung, and maybe now you know that they're starting to work on some of the, you know, the very ornate, uh, rooms inside the temple. You know all this is happening as you're watching this being built. For seven years, this is ongoing. Mm -hmm. And so Second Chronicles 7 now details the story of the moment the temple was dedicated, the first sacrifices that were offered there on, on the altar, the fact that, uh, you know, Solomon had to come and consecrate this area outside of the temple as they continue to offer sacrifices because as they offer the first sacrifice, first sacrifices, the presence of God comes down. He consumes these sacrifices in this fire. And then there's this moment where the, the, the priests can't even enter the temple again because the presence of God was so visibly evident to all those who were in attendance and watching. So the priests were aware that the presence of God was, was in the temple. Uh, even all the people watching that had come from miles around, all the way down to Egypt, people were traveling to Jerusalem for this celebration, this party as the temple was dedicated. In that moment, even th those in attendance, the crowd have this front row seat to what God is doing, His visible presence at the temple that day. Well, that day of dedication leads to several weeks of celebration following. And it's, it seems to, to go in kind of these stages where they were going to celebrate for a week and then they add this other week of celebration <laughs> on. And it's just, I mean, it just keeps on going because mm -hmm. the people are overjoyed at what has happened. Yeah. yeah. So after roughly three weeks of celebrating, Solomon actually has to send the people home because they would have stayed and kept partying. Now, maybe it was just because they didn't want to go back to work or whatever. I don't know. But, but whatever it is, the reality is I think this moment meant so much to the people of Israel that they were genuinely in celebration. I mean, they were in this mode of celebration because of what had happened and, um, and you know, the, the completion of the temple, but also the evidence of God's presence among them. So Solomon sends them home after roughly three weeks of celebration, and we see this scene where he transitions from this place of celebra celebration, this very public space of celebration to his private space of his room in you know, his bedroom. So he's going to bed. I mean, he's probably worn out. You know, it seems like he probably operated as master of ceremonies almost for the entire time of celebration. He steps out, sends the people home, goes to retreat to his own space, um, gets ready to go to bed. And in this moment, God comes 
and invades uh, Solomon's private bedroom as well and says, Solomon, we need to have a conversation. Almost says in a roundabout way, listen, some amazing things have happened. Some amazing things have happened these last few weeks. And I'm very pleased with what has happened. I've heard the prayers of the people. I'm going to make this place right here my home. I will make this the pre- you know, my physical presence or my presence spiritually will dwell in the temple. Um, it will be physically tangible in ways at times. Um, so, so I will be here with my people. I, I've seen the way they've celebrated. But then God later in the chapter says as well, I know that even though this has happened here today, a time will come where the people walk away from me again. I just think about that. It just points a, it just points to the fickle nature of human beings. I mean, think about what they witnessed that day. And hopefully, even as I'm sharing this story, uh, you know, those who are listening or watching are able to uh, maybe visualize some of what took place in in those three weeks of celebration that began with the dedication of the temple. Just the way that that should have shaped from then forward the way that the people of Israel responded to God. But within just a short time, you know, think about the, the, the pain that comes out um, you know, as royal succession happens after Solomon and kings start to not be so devoted to God and the people are not devoted to God. In fact, they start chasing after idols and everything else. And of course, you know, King David had his moments and certainly... Um, you know, some of David's children were, were unfaithful. I mean, just, there's a lot, of, a lot of pain and division as people forget about God dwelling among them and what all that meant. Yeah. And start to choose their own way instead of the way of God all over again. So it's out of kind of this conversation mm-hmm. that we see in Second Chronicles 7, we see verses 13 and 14, we see God saying to Solomon, so there will come a day again when people are unfaithful to me, and here's how I'll respond in the moment of their unfaithfulness. He says, I'm going to shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. Or I might command locusts to devour the land, or I might send a plague among my people. And all of this, as we'll see um, as we proceed through this conversation, is because God wanted to kind of wake his people up. And if he had to shake them to wake them, God was willing to do that. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, look, I'll do this. I'll shut up the heavens. I'll send a plague. I'll uh, command locusts to devour the land, whatever, just to get my people's attention again. He says, if in that moment, verse 14, this is the verse that we know, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So the promise in there, in that moment, if my people realize that they've turned away from me to something else and they're, they're ready to come back to me, in that moment, I'll hear or I'll listen, I'll forgive, and I will heal. Huge promises in yeah. that. And so really, it, it is that, and you know, we talked about this on Sunday, that word turn that is in verse 14 is the word, the Old Testament word, that we translate repent. And we'll see as we go through this conversation, there are multiple other ways to uh, that we have translated this particular word, Mm -hmm. um, but that particular word is is very important. It is the word that we translate repent, but here in this passage it's translated turn. So if they'll humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn away from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, then I'll forgive, then I'll heal. Well, let's go ahead and get into that then. I mean, this that idea of repent. 
And mm-hmm. really, like, I and mean, that's what a lot of this has been leading us to yes. is this conversation on repentance. So, would you share the definition that you shared about what repentance is on Sunday, and then tell us yeah. why you think that really matters? Okay. So, um, so on Sunday, I gave this in kind of three stages, basically, and and we'll come to a few more passages that will uh, will connect this in just the next few minutes. Um, but, but let me give kind of the, the progression of this definition before we go and look at these passages. So, so here's what I said on Sunday. I said that the heart of repentance is the choice to turn from wickedness. So we mm-hmm. see that in this Second Chronicles 7 passage, right? So turn from wickedness. Turn away from choosing your own way, which is the way that God defines wickedness typically. You chose your own way instead of my way. That was wicked. That was a wicked thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know that that kind of... Uh, that's a hard word for us to hear maybe in our society. You know, I joked in our small group even um, as we met uh, on Sunday evening that, uh, you know, the word wicked, as soon as I think of wicked, what I think about is like the wicked witch of the West, right? And yeah, so, yeah. you know, um, so, you know, none of us are like that running after Dorothy crying, I'll, I'll get you my pretty, which is kind of weird to think about actually right now. But, um, but uh you know, the reality is we tend to think of something like that when we think about wickedness, right? Mm-hmm. We're thinking about this really, really evil person. And in comparison to the rest of us, well, that person is particularly evil when we're not like that. And so how can we truly be yeah. wicked? But again, think remember, of something like removed from ourselves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, I mean, we talked about this, that if we compare ourselves to other people, we're never going to see ourselves the way God sees us both in our degree of separation from him, but then as well in the degree to which we're loved in spite of our degree of separation, mm-hmm. right? So, so we need to accept these things as God presents them to us. So I need to accept in there that again, even if I'm uncomfortable with the word wicked, especially when it's used about me or other people that I think are sort of good people in that sense, mm-hmm. we need to accept what God says about us. And he says again, that when we choose not what he would choose for us, that that is wickedness. Okay, so again, so at the heart of of repentance is a choice to turn from wickedness, to renounce it fully, and instead return to God. Okay, so we'll flesh that out further in a minute, especially that piece of it. But but if that is true then, biblical repentance is every bit as much about what will happen in the future as it is what has happened in the past. Okay, so yes, wickedness has happened in the past. We chose our own way, but what are we doing? We're renouncing it so we can return to God, renouncing it fully so we can return to God. I think that's very important, that second piece of it, or mm-hmm. this, this second piece of it, because I think growing up, and especially, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe even into my 30s, there were times where I really felt like repentance was very much a past-centered action or a yeah. past-centered yeah. choice. Um, it was looking at what I'd done and feeling, you know, looking at what I had done and, and choosing to feel very badly about that, maybe allowing my guilt about what I had done, my conviction about what I had done to move me to a place where I would not choose to do that again. But beyond that particular thing I felt badly about, it didn't necessarily define um, my future course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so. Yeah, we'll flesh that out further as well too. But again, let me say this one more time. Again, so biblical repentance is every bit as much about what has happened or what will happen in the future as it is about what has happened in the past. And another way of saying this, um, so really in the book and both in the message on Sunday, 
Um, I said, you know, my working definition of repentance is this basically, is that repentance begins with a deep conviction about the past, but that conviction about the past leads to a consecrated future. Mm-hmm. And I know that word uh, consecration is not something that we use often. I mean, it's not like a regular part of our yeah. vernacular no. today. Uh, but that is an important word. And, and you know, I, I do still buy into this idea of using uh, Bible terms to talk about Bible things. And so I think it's important that we understand what the word consecrated means okay. because it will help give us a healthy view of, of repentance or the other half of repentance. Again, okay. so first half of repentance, deep conviction about the past. If we only stay there, we're only embracing half of what biblical repentance is mm-hmm. really all about. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second part is the consecrated future. So the idea of consecration is the choice to set something apart. Even if we go back to the Second Chronicles 7 passage, this word consecrated is actually used there. Okay. So Solomon consecrated this ground outside of the temple so that he could then go make sacrifices to God on this site outside of the temple because God's presence was so in the temple they had to sacrifice to God outside of the temple. So consecrating, he set it apart. He allowed it to become holy. He gave it a purpose for which it was not, had not been purposed before. Before it was just ground outside of the temple. The temple itself was consecrated and had been set apart to God. But in this moment that this area was being used, Solomon set it apart for a specific purpose. That's what the idea of consecration is. So the idea is then for us, if we have a deep conviction about the past that leads us to this place of repentance, the second half that comes with that is this choice to then set ourselves and our future apart for God's purposes. Mm-hmm. So it is truly mm-hmm. embracing that my way is actually, <clears throat> excuse me, what has led me away from God. Okay. Embracing God's way is now what faithfulness looks like okay. um, for here on, from here on forward. And so I think, you know, all of that is based upon a healthy understanding of the Old Testament word, um, which is often spelled, you know, in in English, it's S-H-U-V. In Hebrew, it might be pronounced something more like shub because Mm -hmm. it's a long U. Uh, The V is often pronounced as a B. Uh, But that is the word that we translate repent, but can be translated turn, return, or renounce, as we talked about in kind of that first uh, phase of that three-stage definition. So let me give all three stages just real quickly again, and I think that'll help as a summary of this section. So at the heart of repentance is a choice to turn from wickedness, to renounce it fully and instead return to God, so that biblical repentance then is every bit as much about what will happen in the future, renouncing it, we're going back to the way of God fully, so it's much about what will happen in the future as it, as it is about what has happened in the past. In other words, repentance begins with a deep conviction about the past that leads to this truly consecrated, set-apart future that we're now giving this, our future to God from here on forward. So uh, somebody said to me after the message on Sunday, and I thought this was really, really good, um, Jesus gave his life um, in a sense to, to not just purchase our past, but to purchase our future as well. Mm-hmm. So if we think about this and only in the sense of forgiveness of sins, so this goes back to the way we think about the gospel mm-hmm. also. Um, if we think that Jesus gave his life simply 
to purchase redemption for my past sins, as opposed to purchasing me a new future, we're only understanding maybe even one portion of the gospel. Yeah. Right? So, so I think all of that is... It's pretty important that's for good. us to get in perspective. That's good. I, I mean, I think that's really helpful because I think you, I think you're right. You really in what you shared, kind of as your kid understanding, yeah. maybe like of repentance. I do think that's a, it's a big idea with just within Christian culture. I probably yes. grew up with the same mentality of really thinking, probably mixing repentance and confession, and just thinking yeah. Yeah, repentance yeah. is really just confession, feeling yes. bad about something, yes. not really seeing that future aspect of it. So I think it's really helpful to to identify that and see that scripturally. Yeah. Um, so I, I think. I think what I want to talk about is I think maybe some people may object to that and kind of see this as like, are you just saying that really repentance is just doing things differently, just making better choices, yeah. is it just an act of, oh, I just need to will myself to do better and just kind of knuckle down and just do better, just move forward? Is that is that all repentance is? Yeah, so, so somebody might object to the definition then um, of repentance as as, uh, as we just defined it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's fair. And I've actually had some people push back a little bit on uh, the way that I present this in, in the book. And I, I, think, I think that a lot of this has to do with, again, our understanding of repentance, not what the Bible communicates about repentance. Okay. So again, we're pushing back on something that we have accepted because maybe it's been communicated this, uh, that way to us. So coming back to you know, what you said, and I like the way you said that almost, you know, my, my kid view of repentance, my kid version of repentance. Well, where did I get that from? Mm-hmm. Where did I get that misunderstanding from? It was by listening to others as they talked about repentance or by listening maybe to a preacher preach. And I've had, you know, my dad was my preacher, so we've had conversations about this. Um, you know, and he said, well, I don't think I would have presented repentance that way as just something that's about the past, but maybe that's just the way that, yeah. that it hits yeah. us even, you know, so we're hearing exactly. that and it just hits us that way, even if somebody is saying something different, unless we're being very pointed in the way we define repentance, maybe it's just easy to assume that we put it on par with confession mm-hmm. or something like that, so that it's mostly about the past, um, you know, but then let's let's say, okay, let's let's allow ourselves to embrace this, not just past-centered, but future-centered um, definition of repentance. Um, I, I could understand how somebody could walk away feeling like I'm just saying you need to do things differently. Um, you need to make better choices. Or even this objection that I've heard before in, in other, uh, you know, in listening to other podcasts at times, that if we're not careful, we can make it sound like we're just asking people to turn over a new leaf in life. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, I, I know that's true. Um, let, me, let me point us real quickly maybe to a couple of passages that we did walk through on Sunday morning, just two of okay. these, that I think will be helpful because they, they will actually push against this. And then the other objection that might come up, um, which, which we've discussed, is this idea that you know, somebody might object to the idea that we even need to repent at all. Or that, you know, isn't it just enough to believe? And I think even these yeah. passages will touch on that. And maybe we can flesh that out a little bit further as mm-hmm. we go through okay. this, yeah. uh, this section as yeah. well. So, so these two passages, one from uh, Jeremiah chapter 24, verses 6 through 7. And the second one then, uh, Ezekiel 14, 4 through 6. So we'll just okay. work through these two real quickly. And I've got, in both of these passage, 
passages, something I want to really, um, I think, maybe firmly root this idea of repentance with uh, or, or connect this deeply to the idea of repentance because I could see how you could walk away believing if you did not hear or see the rest of what's in these passages that God is only calling us to do things differently or that I'm saying that, but there's more to it than that. Okay, okay. so Jeremiah 24, 6 through 7. Uh, this was written to a group of people that um, you know, would be exiles in a foreign land. God had uh, post the days of Solomon, uh, in the days of the wicked kings, God did come and exact his judgment on, on people who were um, worshiping idols, who were not even walking the way of God at all anymore, but were now walking the way of the nations around them. And so God actually goes way beyond the idea of, you know, sending a plague or locusts or, uh, you know, or drought for a time. Those things did not get their attention. Mm -hmm. So God allowed another nation, an invading army, to come and take them captive and scatter them. You know, so some of them were taken, many of them were taken to, to Babylon and were there at this point in time. And so these are words that Jeremiah was writing to these captives. Ezekiel will be doing the same thing. They were contemporaries of each other. So this is what... Uh, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, My eyes will watch over them for their good, speaking about these who will be the exiles, um, I, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. Now, now listen to this part. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. Now, check this last bit out. For they will return to me, that's Shub, they will repent. Yep. How? They will return to me with all their heart. Mm -hmm. So this is not just <clears throat> they will return to me with all their actions. Yeah. And the heart, heart piece of it is missing. No, the heart is what leads mm -hmm. this return mm -hmm. to God and then leads to maybe a living and doing things differently. Okay. So it's the change okay. of heart. The change of heart happens. Gotcha. And it moves them. So again, God says, I will give them a heart to know me. The heart to know God propels them to return with all their heart, okay. which of course is going to lead to doing things differently. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the return that begins at the heart level. Then uh, Ezekiel 14, 4 through 6 says this, uh, very similar context. Therefore, speak to them and tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts, which it wasn't just in their hearts, it was also real idols too. Um, and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces, then go to a prophet. I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. So, you know, these were false prophets they were going to to try to confirm that what they were mm -hmm. doing was just fine. Keep okay. doing what you're doing. It's just fine. So God is now saying, look, you're being idolatrous in the way you're seeking after foreign gods, prophets who are false prophets, to just confirm that you're okay. Mm -hmm. Keep doing what you're doing. All right, so God says, I will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. The answer is, I mean, it's, it's the judgments that God said he would bring upon the nation of Israel. And in this case, now we're talking about, again, judgment by a foreign nation and the taking off into yeah. captivity. He says this, though, why, God, why will I do this? Because sometimes we look at God's judgments and you're like, man, that's, that's harsh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean... To have a foreign army come in, a ruthless foreign army come in, many are going to die. It's going to be a time of intense suffering. Why would God do that? And God is seeing the bigger picture and says this. He says, verse 5, he says, I will do this. 
to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have deserted me for their idols. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here's the purpose. I want to recapture the hearts of the people. So verse 6 says this, and we see the word shub used three times, and we translate it three different ways in English. Okay. (laughs) So therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, shub. Right there. Mm -hmm. Turn Shub again from your idols and renounce Shub one Mm. more time all your detestable practices. So Shub, Shub from your idols and Shub all your detestable practices. So the same word that we would translate repent. And it really brings Hmm. into focus what the idea of repentance has traditionally been. And we'll see next week as well. It's no different when we flip into the pages of the New Testament. Repentance has always been about turning, renouncing, and returning yeah, yeah. to God. And so... I well, and just re- the, go ahead. Yeah. Maybe just the importance of having it yeah. three times there yes. repeated that, I mean, is always mm-hmm. a clue of how, of exactly the importance right. of something, right? We talked about that, I think it was last week with the mm-hmm. angels, or the, the cherubim saying, holy, holy, holy. Yes. Repeating that three times of just that's exactly right. this repetition. That's, that's interesting. I hadn't seen yes. that Yes, yeah. So this idea even of, of fully renouncing... Yeah, I mean, it's that's exactly what what is being pointed to mm-hmm. to to a full return to with their whole hearts, right? I mean, that's these are these are heavy words when we look at them like this. You know, it yeah. it, it, yeah. it really again, like I said, brings the idea of repentance into focus. So if I let's just make sure that we come back and reconnect with your original question. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what would we say then to someone who might object that this, that the definition of repentance as, as we're giving it might just sound like calling people to do things differently, make better choices, turn over a new leaf in life, or even this idea, you know, how, how could we then respond to someone who might ask, why do we even need to repent at all? Isn't it just enough to believe? Maybe let's, let's deal with that one a little bit more. Um, again, I think it's fair to say, I mean, we always ought to be the kind of people, if we are the people who are trying to be the people of God, we ought to always be digging into the Word of God because it's possible we've misunderstood things at times or mischaracterized things at times or leaned in too heavily to one theme and not taking, not taking a balanced approach mm-hmm. to things. And especially this idea that um, is it not just enough to believe? Um, I, I understand where this comes from. In particular, um, it comes from one passage from, from Ephesians 2. This idea that it's by grace through faith that we're saved. So that none of us would be able to boast, right? It's not by works. Yeah. It's of God. So that we can't boast and we can't take credit for the fact that we are saved. The wild thing about that is, so that's verse 8. If we dig into verse 9 and 10, what you end up right away with is this representation of the fact that we have been saved by God. Why? to do good works that he's prepared Mm -hmm. in advance for us Mm -hmm. to do. So we've been saved so that we could be transformed by God into the kind of people that want to do things his way instead of wanting to continue to do things our way. So if somebody is saying, is it not just enough to believe? And all they mean then is to have this mental assent that sure, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he died for my sins and yeah, I believe that with yeah. my mind. But then you're going to tell me that's not going to make any difference in the way you live? You know, James discusses that mm-hmm. very uh, boldly when he says, Look, you tell me you have faith. 
let me show you my faith in action by the things yeah. I do. And then James goes on to say, if you think that just this mental assent is enough to believe these things is enough, but that it doesn't then ter- in turn affect the way you live, it doesn't change the way you live, it's not the kind of belief that is so deeply rooted at your core mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it changes the way you live, then maybe you've got the wrong idea of what it really means to believe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, James goes on to say, even the demons believe and they tremble. So they believe and they tremble. Um, you know, so just real quick before we get back into the rest of this question um, about belief and misunderstanding. The word that we translate belief is also the word that we often translate faith and is also the word that we translate faithful from. So again, if you think about the word shub that we've talked about already, we can see it translated with multiple English words. The same is true for this Greek word pistis that we translate faith or belief or faithful. Um, And it means not just one of those things, but it means all of those things. So our call, as we've talked about before, is to have a, to live a life that displays a faithful faith, yeah. a faith that leads us to faithfulness. And maybe that's the yeah. way we should really define that. You know, Romans 4 is sometimes quoted too, this idea, you know, so, so in Romans, Paul talks about Abraham, um, his faith being credited to his righteousness, to, to him as righteousness. But then Paul talks all about what that faith moved Abraham to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So could you say that it was his faithful faith that was credited to him as righteousness? Did Abraham's faithful faith means, mean that he was always faithful and that he did things perfect from that day forward? Not at all. Yeah. He yeah. still fell short, but his faithful faith moved God to look at him as if he mm-hmm. was righteous. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing happens to us. So I would have to say, no, it's not just enough to believe. Yeah. Faith is different than simply mental assent. Yeah. It's different than that. You know, so. it's even when Jesus goes around and he's proclaiming the gospel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what Jesus constantly says is repent and believe. And it's interesting and that believe. he ties those two together. It's not just belief, um, yes. and it's also not just repent either. It's a, he ties those two things together all the time. And 100%. That's interesting. That's insightful. Yeah. Can, so can I give real quickly the way actually the yeah, wrap please. up this chapter in the book? Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think it addresses both of these questions that you've kind of put, uh, put before us, you know, you know, is this definition a dangerous definition? Cause it might just lead us to think that, um, we, we are talking about doing things differently or isn't belief enough. I think this short paragraph addresses both of those things. So, so I actually say this, under no circumstances do I want you to walk away with the impression that repentance is simply about doing things differently or about making different, cho- making mm-hmm. different choices, better mm-hmm. choices, right? So I, I don't want anybody to think that. So I say that emphatically, and, and I write this, here's why I can say that so emphatically. Both Jeremiah 24 and Ezekiel 14 make it plain that repentance begins at the heart level, or it centers on the heart, you could Mm. say. It is, after all, the hearts of His people that God is looking to recapture. I love that word. God is Mm -hmm. looking to recapture Mm -hmm. the hearts of His people, and it is with their hearts that they return to Him. But know this, recaptured hearts will lead to reformed lives, where the first is present, the recaptured hearts, 
the second will be as well the reformed mm-hmm. lives. Okay, so it, that the, it all goes together. We shouldn't try to pull those things apart. Yeah, yeah. So before we transition mm-hmm. into kind of talking about how we practice this and yeah. like what this looks like for us is also wonder if some people might be listening to this and thinking like, okay, th- this is this is great. Um, this is good. I, I agree with you on what repentance is, but they yeah. think I've already repented. So okay. like, is this, what, what does okay. this mean for me? Like, I've already done this. Like I, when I followed Jesus, when I was baptized, like I'm sure I've repented. So I'm okay. good now. So this conversation isn't really for me. What would yeah. you say to that person? Again, that, that's, that's really embracing the idea that repentance is a past-centered thing. Yeah. I've already done that. I did that about the things in the past, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it doesn't shape my future. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this verse more, and so we're going to jump in, into the New Testament just for a second. But I want you to see what Jesus says about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is Luke 9, 30-ish, 32 maybe. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, anybody who would want to follow after him, that what it takes is the daily denial of self, mm-hmm. the daily picking, of, picking up of the cross, and the daily choice to follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So repentance, um, and, and I talk about this more in uh, you know, chapter 7 and chapter 8 of the book, and we will a little bit more on this podcast as well, I'm sure. But the act of repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. So for anybody who says, I've already repented, man, I, I will confess and say this. I pray a prayer of repentance so regularly before God that, that it's, common, it's just commonplace for me at this point. You know, and you started this as saying that this road is paved with humility. And mm. it feels like in some ways yep. quite arrogant for us to think. And I get it. And I would think mm. this too at times that... I've already repented, so I'm done. Yes. It's not to say that, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. I, I continue to mess up. The more I grow to be more like Jesus, the more he identifies yes. more ways in my life that like, oh, I didn't even see this before, but this needs to conform to the image yes. of him. This needs to conform to the image of him. So I, I really love yes. what you're saying there. It, it's, it's daily. It's a process throughout our life. Yes, 100%. Not a one and done. Yeah, if, if we look at repentance as really the turn from doing things my way to the turn to doing things God's way or turning from my way to return to God's way and return to God himself. Um, If we think that we only need to do that once in life, um, I think we're deceiving ourselves in that. I think, as you said, humility will move us to see constantly over and over and over these areas that in the moment we made the choice to follow Jesus for the first time Maybe mm-hmm, we didn't even mm-hmm. recognize were areas that needed to be surrendered to God. But as we continue to live faithfully and become a, a follower of Jesus more faithfully, more fully, more, more fully devoted, those areas will continue to be exposed as, yeah. as we walk with Him. And yeah. we'll find ourselves repenting all over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and move into our final question mm-hmm. is, how can we practice what we've learned this week to be faithful to Jesus? Yeah, so, so I, I would imagine that nobody, after listening to the conversation that we've had at this point, uh, or to this point, would, would miss this right here, that, that we believe very much that it, it is important that we intentionally pursue a path that moves us toward repentance. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about, that begins with humility, 
Uh, it's, it's as we see God clearly, we see ourselves clearly, we realize how broken we are and how much we're in need of something so much better than what we're going to um, come up with on our own, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it moves us to respond, I think, just the way that God lays it out for the people of Israel in Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. It's, again, this idea that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And it's important, I think, that we recognize that this verse begins with an if. Mm. If my people will do this. So there's an if in there. that The promises of God, as it relates to our choice to repent, they are conditional upon, again, the choice to embrace humility, the choice to seek Him in prayer, um, the choice, the decision to repent with all that repentance entails, as we've talked about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, already. Um, so, so here's something that we're going to be doing at Grace Chapel beginning uh, today. Not today in the day of our filming, but the day of the release of this podcast. Um, we are beginning uh, a time, a 10-day time of prayer. Okay, So for all those who are listening that are, that are not directly connected with Grace Chapel, we, of course, we, we invite you to join us yeah. on that 10 days of prayer. So... So today, again, we begin this 10-day uh, prayer journey that, that will lead us to this place of uh, what I hope is truly repentance before God. Um, there, there are prayer guides that are going to accompany this 10 days, this 10-day mm-hmm. journey. In fact, uh, we will link, we'll find a way to link the prayer guide in the show notes so that anybody yep. can retrieve that prayer guide and journey yeah, along with us. Or, um, you know, if you follow us on social media mm-hmm. or if you mm-hmm. are connected here with the Grace Chapel family, uh, we'll be sending those out um, in, in emails. If, you know, if you uh, just want to get those daily and you're not connected with Grace Chapel, uh, go and follow our Facebook page or Instagram. We'll have those pushed out. Also for uh, Grace Chapel folks, they'll be pushed out on the app every day too. So we're going to be pushing this out just about every way we can. Uh, because we believe that these 10 days could be possibly truly formative and transformative mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. lives of those who are seeking to be disciples of Jesus. Um, repentance matters big time. I mean, it's as we'll see next week, as Jesus began his ministry, the first word he said, the first word that came out of his mouth was repent. Yeah, It yeah. was the first word. So... I think that, that's the practical thing that we're calling people to in these next couple of weeks, to, to really truly take God's invitation from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Yes, that was spoken to a specific group of people, 100%. I, I get that. But I think there are also timely, eternal, and universal applications, principles we can pull out of those words that God spoke to the people of Israel and to his king Solomon at that point in time. What's timely and universal, I think, is this, or eternally universal, you might even say, is this idea that we are called to be the kind of people that humble ourselves before God, mm-hmm. that pray and seek His face, and that seek to come back to Him, to return to His ways, to come back to Him with all of our heart. That, that's the kind of people He wants us to be. Yeah. And so over these next few weeks, we want to put that into practice, especially through this 10 days of prayer. Um, some may choose to do some fasting along with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we've talked about fasting before. You've talked about the importance of fasting in your yeah. life and what you've learned about that. I don't know if you want to say a few words about the idea of fasting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I would just say I think that's a, 
that's a perfect way, a perfect response for us that I would encourage y'all to, and whether you do it for a 10 day, mm -hmm. some type of fast for this, these 10 days, whether it's one time you do this week, but as a response leading out of this, that I mean, just one of the things I've learned about fasting is one of the most frequent times that fasting comes up in scripture is yeah. it's always yes. coupled with repentance. Yeah. Is it is turn from your wicked ways and I'll fast. This is a way you show that you are repenting. And the way I heard uh, Tim Mackey of Bible mm -hmm. Project talk about this is heard him talk about kind of how in fasting it's a way of showing with your whole body. Yes, it's showing like on the inside what's in your heart, what you're wanting to do. You're saying you you want to repent, you want to turn. Now, fasting is a way that you embody that, that you show with my whole body, I'm going to deprive myself of, of food, of some type of food, whatever type of fast you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of showing that with your whole body that I'm, I'm this serious about this. I'm yeah. making this turn. Yeah. I'm making this change. And um, it is, I, so I think it's a great way to embody mm -hmm. this call that we're, that we're making, that this call yeah. to repent. So um, I would really encourage you all to consider that. Consider trying to find a way that you can practice fasting. I think it'd be awesome if you'd couple it with yeah. that 10 days, um, or if you wanna do something else with that, but uh, find a way to fast. Yeah, for sure. I shared on Sunday morning that, that I would be pairing a specific type of fast with these 10 yeah. days of yeah. prayer. And um, you know, Ben, I, I find every time I pair fasting with prayer, it seems as though I'm just more in tune to the voice of God, mm -hmm. to what God is trying to do in me um, so that he can then really turn around and work through me more, yeah. more fully. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have just found truly, a, I would say when I first started to fast, I was just trying to be faithful. I, I can be honest, I, I, the significance of fasting was somewhat lost on me until mm -hmm. I started mm -hmm. to practice fasting. Um, and we coupled that with a time of prayer. Again, it's just amazing um, the way it seems to tune our heart to the heart of God as yeah. well. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so again, that. the challenge, you know, through these next couple of weeks will be this again, humble yourself. This again, Second Chronicles 7, humble yourself, mm -hmm. pray and seek His face, turn back to Him with all your heart. And one way that you can do that, practice that is by joining us in this 10-day uh, time of prayer and for those who choose to fast, fasting as well that begins today, Wednesday, and will carry through the Friday of the following week. Awesome. Well, fantastic. Thank you all for joining us again today. We hope you take that challenge to heart. Mm -hmm. And I thank you, Paul, for sharing that with us today. Um, and we will be back next week to continue with this series, diving into part seven, and uh, we'll be continuing this conversation on repentance. So we hope to see you all then, and uh, feel free to reach out to us. If you have any questions, comments, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, until, until then, we'll see you next week.